Thank you, Brother Gross. We wanted to express our appreciation to the steering committee and asking us to do this. And we trust that we can have something to say that will be beneficial, be a blessing. So the Lord bless them, the Lord bless you. You know, there's a lot of things we can do that we can reach the apex of. Some of you have been in skilled trades. I used to be in one when I worked and, uh, on a secular job. And I was an apprentice, worked my way up to journeyman. And um, there were men who worked with me that, to me, it was a compliment. They asked me to do the type of work we were in. Would you do this for me, them personally? I was complimented by that. And, you know, there's some jobs and some trades you can reach the top in. You can go as far as, there, as it's possible to go. You can know just about everything there is to know about it. And you can be as good in it as anyone can be. But, but you can only be so good because there's only so much opportunity. But in doing this, preaching the word of the Lord, gentlemen, we just never get good enough. We can't say, well, he's doing it because he's good. No, we're just doing it because we're here and whatever reason. But in your field of labor, you can get as good as it is possible to get. You can be the epitome. But in doing this, we just have the feeling that we just never are really good enough. I knew when I, when I would take those tools in my hand, I knew just what to do. I could tell them in what hour to come two or three days later to pick up their vehicle. I, could, I had to write down to a science. I knew exactly. And uh, I knew just what they wanted, and I knew just how to do it. But um, it's not the case with this. We just, you know, it's, I was good at what I did. I could make a living at it. Sometimes I wonder, God have mercy, why do you let me make a living at this when we're not all that good at it? We'll never get real good at it. You may be seated. Might have your stand in a few moments for the reading of the word of the Lord, but I want to mention something. First of all, and I respect the time, I have my watch right here. It's like the little boy and his mother went to church and People were praying. He said, Mom, Mom, what's that? What is that? What are they doing? She explained it to him. person got up to sing and play an instrument said, Mom, what does that mean? And uh, she told him. preacher got up, took off his wristwatch and set it up here. The little boy said, Mom, what does that mean? And she said, Nothing, honey, nothing. <laughs> Doesn't mean a thing. Well... I think you get the point. I'd like to just mention something that would be like a cover sheet for what we're talking about today. A couple years ago, the Lord gave me a message. I only preached it in one, one time. And I felt the Holy Ghost directing me with it. And I'm not going to preach it again today, but I'll, but I'll use it just sort of as a cover sheet. 
Because today I'm just going to teach you. I'm just going to teach a Bible study. Sit back. Unlock your seatbelts. Take it easy. And uh, we don't expect any bumpy journey. Don't expect any bumps in the road or uh, activity here. So, you know, like in an airplane, they say, buckle your seatbelts, turbulence, you know. I don't think there's going to be any turbulence here this morning. Just sit back, relax, take it easy. But what I wanted to say was um, pose a question. I could say as to cover everything. And that was the title of my message. And the question was, whatever happened to pride? And I take off from that because you don't hear much about the bubonic plague anymore, do you? You don't hear much about polio anymore. We don't have big outbreaks of cholera, influenza. There's a lot of things that you just don't hear about anymore because medical science has eradicated them, almost. You know, maybe third world countries, they can have things, but... In the United States, we enjoy a very high standard of living. And there's just some things that almost completely have been eradicated. We think, whatever happened to that? And And in talking about pride... Whatever happened to it? You don't hear much about it anymore. You don't hear much about the black plague or influenza. Medical science is taking care of them. They almost don't exist. And uh, is that what's happened to pride? Is it, is it gone? Is it all gone from us? It's been eradicated? We've been at this long enough that we don't have to even worry about... I don't think there's anyone here that's going to worry about getting the bubonic plague. I'm not. Don't play with rats, you know, fleas and stuff like that. It decimated about a third of Europe back in the Middle Ages, but... Is pride gone? We don't have to worry about it anymore. It's all gone. I'm not affected by it. Germ won't get me affected by pride anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. We've, we've taken care of it. Because you don't hear about it much. But in the Bible, it's mentioned many times. Never, never in a good connotation. Now, you know, we can have what we call pride, and we call it decency and self-respect. I addressed someone in our church the other day, well, just because of their behavior and conduct and some habits. And I said, sister, I went like this. I said, it's a matter of dignity. Dignity. You know, we need a degree of dignity. We really do. Uh, Just as a human being, because we're made in the image of God. And I think God is very dignified. That doesn't mean that we have dignity uh, and exclusivity and, you know, think that we're exclusive and, no, not that kind, but just in self-respect that 
I'm a human being. I'm made in the image of God. I shave and comb my hair and put on a clean shirt, you know, and things like this. A little bit of dignity. Because if I don't look good, if I don't look good, if my tie is all messed up, my shirt's got a spot on it, and my suit has threads on it, you're going to look at my wife and say, what's wrong with her? If she doesn't look good, you're going to look at me and say, what's wrong with him? Everybody said, amen. She's not dressed right. She may be criticized. By the way, this thought came from her. <laughs> Sounds okay, doesn't it? <clears throat> but, but you look at me and say, why does he let her run around like that for? What does he let her wear that for? Well, anyway, pride's gone, isn't it? I don't have to worry about it anymore. So I get to talk about something today that we just don't have to worry about anymore. Well, we almost, you know, you don't hear about it anymore. You just don't hear about it. There's a word in the Webster's Dictionary in our vocabulary. The word is engine. E-N-G-I-N-E. Engine. Everybody knows what an engine is when we think of that word. We hear, we think of something in, under the hood of our automobile, on the back of your boat, uh, under the gas tank, in a motorcycle, whatever. It's an engine. This is what Webster says it is. Anything used to effect a purpose. Any agent means or method to effect a purpose. It's an engine is what drives you and me. An engine drives that car. Internal combustion engine, it drives that car. Every one of us have some kind of an engine in our life. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. And with the help of the Lord, I just, for the sake of the man running the tape, you can put the title on this. The engine of apostasy. People are apostates because they've been driven to something. God doesn't drive people. He leads people. You know, as a shepherd, you can't drive people. You have to lead people. But if there's anything that is a danger in the apostolic movement, and Lord have mercy, we have seen it. We have seen it, and it's not over, and that's apostasy. Going away from the truth, going away from right doctrine and holiness and all of those things, and becoming apostate. I, you know, we hear the word, and we recoil at that word, and something inside of us just turns over because I think, oh God, I, I might be a lot of things, but I don't want to be an apostate. I don't want to be apostate. People may fall into sin and fail God and, and you know, perish the thought there. But yet to be apostate is about as bad as you can go because you don't know you're wrong. It's not, well, I'm an apostate and I know it. No, nobody thinks they're apostate. And there's lots of them around, but nobody thinks they are. The engine of apostasy is pride. Could you stand for a moment? I'm going to read from the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Seen in the garden, the serpent addressing Mother Eve. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. 
Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And you may be seated. I'll be reading other scriptures. We wonder whether just the appearance of the food or the food itself to suppress an appetite. Evidently, there was something about this fruit that was more than just to give you nourishment. Eve looked at it and saw it. And there was an appeal there. Something appealed to her more than just, you know, you can be famished and real hungry and you can smell the aroma of food and it it does something to you. But with Mother Eve, it was more than that. And it was more than just food. And I, I believe there was more than just a pleasing appearance there for her. Probably it's possible that maybe just because it was food or just pleasing that she would not have partaken of it. But there, there was an element that entered into her thinking that God did not put there. But any time you talk to the devil, any time anyone has any conversation with the devil, you're going to come out of it clouded. You're going to come out of it so often tainted with pride. Because if he is anything, he is the epitome of pride. The reason for his fall from heaven is because he said, I will, I will, I will, I will exalt my throne above that of the Most High. I will sit in the congregation. I will. God said, no, you won't. Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. What a great fall that was. All because of pride. Maybe he didn't understand God and the angels don't understand everything and they desire to look into what we're doing and they don't understand everything about what God does with man and with his church. One angel said, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you have visited him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, but you've crowned him with honor and glory. Man doesn't understand it and the devil did not understand everything, but instead of just maybe accepting it and what God had done, Satan wanted to question. You see, the Bible said that he sealed up the sum. Sum is the total. Four is the sum of two and two. Put it together. You can't get any more out of it. You, no matter how you look as a mathematician, which I am not, but I, I don't think you can get any more than four out of two and two. That is the sum. And the prophecy about him said, you seal up the sum. God could not have made and created I know God can do, but 
The inference here is that he made Lucifer as much as he could make. Can you imagine God in all of his wisdom and knowledge pouring it into a created being? He sealed up the sun full of wisdom and beauty. But oh my, he was lifted up. He said, I will, I will, I will. An enormous amount of pride there. He became the first and the original apostate because he was driven to it by pride. Pride became an engine for his apostasy. Pride became a heinous thing that he partook of and it didn't exist until he performed it. And the thing is, he affected so many others with him. So many others with him. Eve was driven, not just the desire for food, she could eat anything, but there was something about this one, and the devil knew what would drive her. He said, you'll be like gods. You'll be like gods. And she thought, I'll be like a god. I want to be like a god. And so she partook of it. She was driven whether she did it the very first day, the very first temptation, well, we don't know. We don't know how long this temptation went on. But she was driven by pride. When Cain slew his brother Abel, and you read all through the context of that in the book of Genesis, the first murderer, you see Cain lost face before his family. He was embarrassed. He brought it through the ground and God said, I can't accept that. It had to be a blood sacrifice that, that Abel brought. And Cain, because of pride, because of losing face before everyone, I, we don't know how we speculate and the pictures show him heaping it up on the altar and a lamb over here, and fire coming down, and we assume that's the way that it was. But some way, whatever way that it was, it was very evident and evident not only to Cain, but everyone around, God did not accept you. He said, I will bring, look at these beautiful vegetables and fruits. And he brought, he was a tiller of the ground. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. And he said, I'll bring you the best. He probably brought the very best that he had to God. God said, I can't accept that. And Cain's, the Bible said, his countenance fell. And he was wroth. He's angry. Pride and anger are first cousins too. Because you take a proud person, they easily get angry. And they stay angry. We may flare up sometimes, but they make a vendetta out of it. And he was the first one to have a vendetta against his brother. And so the only way he could see around it was to kill his brother. He was driven by something. Driven by it. He didn't think of, God said, if you do right, won't you be accepted? I think, my, God talked to him directly. And he, he resisted it. You know why? Because the Bible says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In one sense, God was resisting him. God would not accept him like he was. God would not accept his sacrifice, and Cain knew it, and he was driven, whether it was the next day or a few days later. Again, we don't know, but
But he was wandering around thinking about this and he saw his brother out in the field and they talked together and some way Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel. He was driven. He was driven. You take pride out of the picture, take him losing face, take him being embarrassed, and you probably would not have had a murder. It could have been some anger, could have been some animosity, but pride becomes so deep, deeply rooted. Apostasy's engine comes with a very high price tag. Nebuchadnezzar knew that. Pride brought him to insanity. Absolute insanity. Driven and performed the nature of a beast and was like a beast out in the field. And Oh, it was a horrible thing. Came with a very high price tag for Nebuchadnezzar. He paid for it. And he recognized it, though. He said, I bless the God of heaven. My understanding returned to me. And he blessed the Lord of heaven. He recognized where he had been wrong because he had walked in the palace and said, Oh, this great Babylon that I have built and I have done this and I have done that. He was driven. There was an engine inside of him. And as he looked at the gates and the walls and the hanging gardens and everything else, all the beautiful palatial buildings and all the opulence of that kingdom, the head of gold, he said, this is me. I'm the head of gold. I'm great. I'm wonderful. And he was driven by this. God said, you're going to be driven out from among men. You're going to eat grass like an ox and your hair will grow like feathers and your fingernails will grow like claws. Oh, he paid a horrible price for it. That's something about, you know, have you ever known a quiet, meek and a quiet apostate? I don't know that I have. They don't have that nature. An apostate, because of the violation of truth, they had to go through so many barriers. Like the old song that said, detour, there's a muddy road ahead. He said, I should have watched that detour sign. But somewhere, they go through detours. Somewhere, they go through barriers that God, God puts up, but they bull their way on through. They're driven by pride and by the time it has reached its course it's run its course by the time it has created something different meek and a quiet spirit hardly really the apostle Paul said about a group of people said they glory in their shame what they should be ashamed of they stand tall and proud over they're tall and proud we're not we're not under bondage anymore we're not under legalism anymore. They write about it and they talk about it and they preach about it and they declare it. And oh, they, they write volumes in magazines and articles and books. And they are so proud of the fact that they are not bound anymore by tradition. They're not bound by legalism. They're not, they're not bound by preachers that they call dictators. No, there's no meek and quiet apostates. Maybe on the surface, but all you have to do is just cross them a little bit. And that spirit comes up. Because they're driven by that. They're driven by it. And that's what caused them to be an apostate, was pride. I guess it's still around us. I guess it is. 
Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe it's been eradicated. Maybe, maybe God sent a sermon, a, a, a serum, a something. Maybe we've been inoculated by it, and maybe we just don't have it anymore. And it, 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 it takes its own shape. I'll tell you that. And by the very nature of what pride is, it, it precludes detection. It's hard to detect sometimes, but it's there. The writer said in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, Paul said, The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Seducing spirits. Seduction like pride, is pleasant. Seduction is pleasant. Seduction feels good. To be seduced, you know, is not to be overpowered, but is to use subtlety and to use craft and to use deceit and to, to seduce someone, to make the individual actually want to be seduced. Bible said there, Spirit speaks expressly, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. It feels good to be seduced. It feels good to have pride. Now we must understand, I think you do, that there's probably not one individual in this building. I doubt if there's one who has never been affected or tried to be affected by pride. We can say that many people in this building have not been tempted to smoke a cigarette, do drugs, alcohol, be immoral, be dishonest, do a criminal act. No, you wouldn't even think of it. It's, it, it wouldn't even be part of your makeup. But somehow, pride is, gets in there. And to every individual who's ever walked the face of the earth. Number one, we're made in the image of God. We're made in God's image. And man, at the Tower of Babel, he raised his fist in defiance to God and said, We will not scatter abroad. We are of one language and we're going to build a tower that will reach unto heaven. God said, Oh, you are. God came down, and we know the story, how he confounded their language. Pride. Enormous pride. The man Nimrod and his workers were driven. They were driven with pride. Yeah, they had a building, they had a city, but they were going to build that ziggurat. They were going to build that great tower up there to reach even unto heaven. Because of pride. Like I say before, pride is an engine. It'll, it'll drive a man. But God leads a man. A little bit over further in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, uh, the Apostle Paul is giving some teaching here in 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 4. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, 
strife, railings, evil surmising. I tell you, pride opened a Pandora's box. It opens a Pandora's box in people's lives. Pride lets in things that normally you could hold in abeyance and keep out. But you get pride, and I'm telling you, it will let in things that you said, I'll never do that. I've had people stand in my office more than once and say, and I say, you don't want to leave. And they be, in a little while, you're going to be here and here. Oh, I'll never do that. Oh, I would never do that. And that's exactly what they end up doing. I preached a message one time in our church entitled, The Irony of Pride. I use this scripture. Where Paul said, if a man does not teach such a way, he said, he is proud. Now, now listen to this. He is proud knowing nothing. That is an irony. Because pride assumes everything, yet knows nothing. Again, Webster said, Webster said, this is the definition of irony. The intended implication of which is the opposite of the literal sense of the words. Sometimes people will say it's ironic when they really mean it's coincidental. This is an irony. He said, he is proud, assumes every pride, assumes, encompasses it all. All knowledge, all learning, everything. But he said, he doesn't know anything. A proud person is a fool. And you can't speak more derogatory about an individual as far as Bible language is concerned than to call them a fool. And a proud person is a fool. I don't say it. I don't call my brother a fool. God's word does it. He is proud, knowing nothing. Paul said, if he doesn't teach these certain things that I've taught you, he's proud. Why? Because he wants to teach his own words. He wants to have his own uh, doctrines and whatever. Paul said he's going to have to teach this or he is proud, knowing nothing, just playing on words. And I tell you, the charismatics and people who have been apostate from the truth, can they ever play on words? Can they ever make it look good on print? Can they ever make it sound good? No, not to us. We see through it and we understand. But those individuals that stood up there somewhere in their past, somewhere there was an engine roaring inside of them, 500 horsepower or more. As uh, I don't know how many cubic inches was roaring inside of them. Pride, pride. They were driven. They were driven. They wanted to see how many of them have said, I want to see the big crowds. How we want to get to win people and they, they don't win anybody. Everybody. There again is an irony. They want to win them when they've lost them. Let them get up and preach one message on holiness and they wouldn't even have a congregation next week. Wouldn't have anybody. The proud man thinks he knows everything. He is an authority on everything. Paul said he doesn't, he's proud. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything at all. He, about questions and strife and brings out envy and railings and evil surmisings and perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. All this, Paul said, he's proud. He doesn't know a thing. But pride assumes 
everything. Pride is, there's nothing pride doesn't know. There's, there's no subject that pride will not venture an opinion on. It'll speak about anything instead of saying, oh, I'm sorry, I, I just don't know. Boy, I'm, I'm stumped there. Oh, no. Pride's going to comment on anything and everything instead of saying, I, I, I don't know. But Paul said he is proud. If he doesn't do what I've taught you, if he doesn't teach these things, he doesn't know a thing. But uh, man, he, he, he sounds like he knows everything. Paul said he doesn't know anything. But no thing. What he said. In First Timothy, again, First Timothy, chapter one, and verses five and seven. He said. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law. Here's an irony, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Paul said they've turned aside from the right commandment. They've turned aside. You know... When you lose your proper touch with God, you're going to be driven, you know, I know some people just go out and sin, just backslide like the prodigal. Well, okay, we can have some hope for them. He wasn't necessarily a proud man when he came back anyway. He was a broken man. And he said, I will rise and go to my father and thank God that he did. And we've seen backsliders do that. But people will be driven to be an authority. But in reality... Paul said here, they don't know what they affirm or what they're saying. They don't know what they're saying. Men of desiring to be teachers of the law, they don't know what they say and they don't know what they affirm. I tell you, pride will cause a person to get up and spout off and say things and normal individuals say, well, that sounds kind of dumb. But yet he's just a man, he's as proud as a peacock. He just feels so wonderful and good about himself and what he has to say, and yet people just cringe. You know what is what can really be the epitome of pride, or I would say the epitome of presumption, would be someone assuming to be called to preach when they're not. They're going to raise havoc. You say, well, maybe they can do a little work. No, they won't do a little work. They'll undo everything that someone else did. And that's one thing that we can appreciate about, about the independent fellowship. You don't see as much about that, as much of that, men really not called to preach going into the ministry, as you do within an organization when they can, you know, it's pretty easy to get a license. It is. And that has been a, that has been one of the banes of our organization, of an organization, is it uncalled men. Uncalled men. And boy, you get somebody who's not called to preach but wants to be, and pretty soon he thinks he is. You can, he can get up in this pulpit, and brother, he's just as pleased with what he has to say, and you think, my God, why doesn't he sit down? Someone who is called of God and someone's anointed of God and someone, an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, a teacher out there and say, oh, God, have mercy, not him again. 
because he's not called to preach. And he's going to mess up everything that somebody helped build. He's just going to go in and tear it down. Thinking that he's doing God's service. My, my, he knows nothing. He knows nothing at all. My, my. There's a great identity with Satan. First Timothy again, chapter 3 and verse 6. Uh, he's talking about the ministry here. Man desire offs the bishop, does a good work. He says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, you fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, does this verse infer that when we have passed the novice stage, that we're immune to pride? Someone might get that out of it. Well, I'm not a novice anymore. We're all novices. I've been doing this for 44 years. And I just feel like, and I, I, I'm not trying to feign humility, but I think I am just so glad to be in this meeting to walk in the shadow of these men and to learn something. Just to walk under the shadow of some men who walk in this, who are in this building today is a great privilege. Does this infer that when we pass the novice stage, that we're immune to pride, not being a novice, that's being lifted up with pride. But no, always and ever, we have to cultivate the spirit of humility, and mainly when we subject ourselves to each other. When we subject ourselves to each other, the devil wasn't going to subject himself to anyone. Cain wasn't going to subject himself to anyone. Men who are pride, who are proud, will not subject themselves to anyone. But is it gone? Whatever happened to pride, we don't hear much about it. Maybe it's maybe it's left our ranks. Maybe we don't have to worry about it. Maybe it's just something that uh, that that that's been eradicated and been preached about enough in years past, and it's all gone now. It's not here anymore. Don't hear much about it. Don't hear too much about it. Not that we should hear about it all the time. We don't want to be redundant. But pride generates a lot of horsepower. It really does. Pride puts you out of the assumed position into the position to where you don't feel like you're a novice anymore. If you're a real true man of God, child of God, you're ever and always going to feel like you're, a, you're a, a student. You want to be taught. In the book of Philippians, again, the marvelous Apostle Paul, the intellect of his day, a genius probably. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19. Verse 19. Through verse 22, Paul said, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Thank God 
for men who work with a good pastor. They don't have to run off to Bible school. No. Uh-uh. And I'm not, you know, there's no premium on ignorance. I tell our kids, why don't you go to a secular college and get a degree and get some earning power. And get a good job, you know. Forget about Bible school. Just, you know, go, go to the college here and get a good job and be a nurse, a school teacher, a technician or something like that. You know, get you an education so you can make a living. So many of them go to Bible school. People who are not called to preach love Bible school. They love it. Oh, they love it. They can join the ministerial association. They can graduate with a degree and automatically get a license. You're talking about presumption. My God, someone presuming to be called to preach is the epitome of presumption. Called to lead people and direct people when they don't even know how to follow. But Paul said, I'm going to send Timothy to you. You know his qualification. I've said, he said, everybody else seeks their own. Oh my. Not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Paul said, there, they all seek their own. They want to be lifted up. They want to be something. He said, but, let me paraphrase a little bit, but you know what's kept him on the right track. He labored as a son with a father. Yes, sir. What son would want to outdo his father? What son would want to outdo his mentor? If you have a mentor, and whether it's your father, your grandfather, whoever it is, my, my, you, you will feel in subjection to them ever and always. Men who taught you something wonderful. Men who taught you the wonderful love of God. And this wonderful message, you will love them ever and always. As you worked under them faithfully. Paul said, you know the... You know not the diploma, not the degree of him, he said, but you know the proof of him. What's his proof? What's his credentials? He worked as a son with the father. Paul said, I I can't trust these others. They're they're in it for themselves. Some of them probably weren't even called to preach. He said, they're they're in it for themselves, but not Timothy, because he's labored right up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Would you like a drink of water, sir? Can I fix you a sandwich, Paul? You need some more ink in the inkwell? You need some more more, uh, paper? Uh, Is is the room warm enough? Is it too hot? Uh, uh, Well, what can I do for you, Paul? You want me to run out the store and get something for you? Well, that may be an exaggeration, I know. No atmosphere for pride with the son working with his father. No atmosphere for... Because his father said, who do you think you are? Get a little proud. Who could tell him more than dad could tell his son? Hey, 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 hey. Now, I believe Timothy probably needed correction now and then. And when Paul would give it, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. I don't know, sir. That's what he is in the military. Yeah. Yes, sir. Paul said, yeah, you know the proof of him. He worked with me as a son with a father. And he said, he's the one I want to send to you. Because of his sterling attitude, his beautiful spirit, he'll be able to lead you. 
Because I know he worked with me. You say, boy, what a credential to work with Paul. My, what you would learn. Yes, I imagine. But at the same time, Paul qualified it. Almost too domestic. He said, as a son with a father. No pride there. Timothy wouldn't want to outdo his mentor. He wouldn't want to outdo his father. And when someone thinks that they're ready to go and they want to outdo dad and they want to outdo their mentor, their pastor, something's driving them. They can use, but, but, I'm, but I'm called to preach and, and I just have to go out. And Maybe so. But a man's gift will make room for him. Man's gift, you know, my pastor, he, he taught me, he said, the time comes, don't worry, God will open the doors. And I tell you, when he opens it, oh, it's a breath of fresh air. I've seen people shove the door and battering ram them down. Oh, bless God, here I am. Yeah. You're going to make, just as you batter down the door, you're going to make havoc of all the furniture too. Not called to preach. You say, well, who do you think you are? I'm, not, I'm nobody, I'm, but I know, you know, I've, I've had to deal with some. I have a friend in California, a friend Burl Stevenson. He has young men go out of his church. He said, you know what? The only ones I didn't have any problem with was those who were really called. Who were really called to preach. Now, you don't have much trouble with them. You, know, you may have to straighten out a few rough edges or things like that. But not pride. If a young man wants to go out out of pride, evangelist, missionary, pastor, no, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work at all. You say, well, how do we get rid of the pride? What are we going to do? I want to read you something here. This is from A.W. Tozer. The cross, the nemesis of pride. Quote, The truth is that God never planned that his children should live forever stretched upon a cross. Christ himself endured his cross for only six hours. When the cross had done its work, life entered and took over. The Bible says, wherefore God has highly exalted him. The cross will take care of the hood. The cross will take care of pride. Bible talks about our sins and transgressions and nailing them to his cross. Whatever the cross is, God will let it come in our lives. Why? Keep us humble. Keep us humble. No, because God's not a sadist. God does not enjoy inflicting pain on people. Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise him, but when the work was done, he was exalted. When a man, if a man is ever exalted, he, he'll wonder, scratch his head, why, what, why, uh, what in the world? Something wrong here, somebody made a mistake someplace. Yeah. Driven. And it will eventually, eventually it will end up in apostasy. The apostates of our day, the ones who loom large and tall in the charismatic world are proud figures. Oh, they're proud figures. They were proud figures, some of them, when they walked among us. Remember? Remember some of their attitudes? Remember some of their spirits? When they walked among us, 
They just exuded pride. You could feel the aura of it when you were around them. And it led them down the road. It drove them to apostasy. Trying to wind this down here. In Proverbs chapter 16. Praise the Lord. Proverbs chapter 16 and verses 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with a lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Pride evidently is serious enough to keep one out of heaven. The devil got kicked out of heaven because he had it. Evidently it's pretty serious infraction to have pride. Verse 19, he said, Better is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. In other words, you've won something. You've fought for some spoil, like a spoils of war. The proud may win. They may win an argument and a position. But you don't want to share in the benefits of their victory. He said, it's better to be with the lowly, better to be with the humble, than to get in with somebody for the benefit of what they gained through pride. He said, no, uh, 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 you don't want to do this. Divide the spoil with the proud. Look what I got. Look what I have. Look what we're doing now. What they got through pride. Mm-mm. It's better to be. I don't want to be with him. I want to be with the humble. I want to be with the lowly. I don't want to benefit from the one who got it through pride. No, sir. I want to get away from him. Because there's going to be destruction one of these days. In Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Brother Pixler, could you play something soft and nice? Amen. God bless him. Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but where the well-advised is wisdom. Only. You know, we say the Bible's right, don't we? We say it's right. Contention and strife among us, you know where it comes from? It comes through pride. And now that, that's what the scripture says. It says only by pride comes contention. But with a well-advised, well-advised, that means you've got a lot of other opinions. You've, you, you've sought out some teachers. You've sought out some counselors. Pride doesn't like that. Pride just likes you to be all by yourself. And think that your opinion is right. We're the well-advised. I better run this by somebody. They're going to call my friend. They're going to call somebody else. And they'll tell you what you want to hear. Or they'll tell you what you should hear. Because only by pride comes contention. Pride's the main source of contention. It's wise to be well-advised. 
Because pride's going to drive people. It's driving people today. It's driving them, and it'll, it wants to drive you all the way to apostasy. Pride will drive a person past the degree of civility and respect for other people. A person gets pride and they don't really care how they treat other people because they think they're right. Well, I'm right and they're wrong, so it's too bad. No, pride never walks on people. It never treads on people. It doesn't assume because it may have a, a given position that it will use that to walk on other people. It just doesn't do that. That's a sin. The next phase will be a lack of respect for truth and doctrine. And the last phase will be a lack of respect for men of truth and doctrine. Pride looks like it is the profundity of respect. But it's really just the opposite. Pride looks like, like, like it is respecting something is right. Like I say, it's by its by its very nature, it's very difficult to detect sometimes. You almost have to cross it to detect it. And how many people is so heinous and so evil because how many of us here today if somebody told us you're proud would accept it and take it and say my God I guess I am Lord have mercy no our first reaction would be what are you talking about prove it how are you going to prove pride would you tell me how are you going to prove it because it may be emanating from what looks like success how are you going to label it? How are you going to put a label on pride? It's the engine of apostasy. It's what drives men into apostasy. May the Lord help us to be subject one to another and to love one another with a pure heart fervently. God bless you today. Reach up to the Lord right now. Can we respond to the word of the Lord right now?